Welcome to episode 608 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther. And this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music shows, and games. And, you know, we do that maybe once a month or something like that. <laughs> you know, I, I'm really glad that we introduced ourselves at the beginning of the show because people might I have think- forgotten. I think we might have forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a couple of weeks. It's been a crazy time for both of us. I was at the vacation house. You were dealing with work stuff. I think we had a holiday in there. Yeah, there was Thanksgiving with absolutely nothing to talk about. Yeah. So here we are, and we have a lot to catch up on. Indeed. Starting with some listener feedback that was sent in to us at entertainment Two Zero at the digitalmediazone.com. And I do want to throw out one other quick caveat about listener feedback. Our email was broken again for a couple of days. I think all of the listener feedback that we know about that we haven't previously covered, we will cover tonight. So if you know that you've sent us something and you don't hear about it on this show, send it to us again because we lost a couple of days of email again. So... Uh, let's jump in. The first one is from Papa Pete, and he says, just a few words about VR and the future of gaming. I challenge both of you to take time to watch the Pimax Portal launch event uh, from the 10th of November. And he provided us a YouTube link, and we can share it with you all. He says, this is a Kickstarter and may never happen, but VR will be mainstreaming in games long before 10 years. That's uh I said it would be at least 10 years before uh, VR was mainstream for games. He disagrees. He says, furthermore, I predict Richard will buy a headset before Josh when he realizes he will be able to watch a movie on his 80-inch TV and feels like he is inside the movie. I've been listening to you both for many years while vacuuming the house on Saturday. And because of Entertainment 2.0, I look forward to the vacuuming. <laughs> P.S., I'm 75 years old, so I can't afford to wait for your predicted 10 years. (laughs) Pete, I love your message. I love your enthusiasm. I, and I will admit that when I first read this message, I was like, come on, I'll go and I'll check out this video and see this Kickstarter thing. I was sucked in. I watched like the whole video. Wow. It's like an hour long. Yep. Uh, I was pretty impressed by some of the stuff that this company is offering. Still probably not to the point of wanting to actually spend a bunch of money on it because like this company is actually offering a, like it's really a full gaming solution where it's not just VR. It's also got a dock that you can plug it into your TV and play not in VR mode. Um, it's got tablet controls that you can just play it sort of like a switch or a steam deck. It's like an all in one, like every possible form factor gaming machine, which sounds pretty awesome, except that it's still basically just Android. And for the VR side of, of the VR games, it's not steam or, or anything like that. So they have to, get these steam games or these vr games directly from the game manufacturers the game publishers and so if you want to play half-life alex you're not going to play it on this if you want to play beat saber it's not on this and i can't think of 
two more um, popular VR games than those two. So I think that's the biggest downside to something like this. Richard, are you are you going to be getting a VR headset so you can watch giant movies? In yeah, private? I I don't know about that. So I did not watch the whole video. I did skim through it, and from what I gathered, because we really haven't talked too much about what it is. And I guess I would qualify it, the thing that they are purportedly creating and selling as a modular gaming system mm-hmm. where you have this screen that can either be docked or it can fit in a visor or it can fit in a handheld control unit. And this incredibly versatile gaming thing that's Android based then lets you interact with your games all those different ways. Really cool idea. I think it's mm-hmm. a very cool idea. I I don't know about the whole being immersed in the video thing, but in all fairness, I don't have a lot of experience with VR. And those VR demos are typically gaming and motion based or activity based and those types of things mess with my head a lot. So it isn't something that I've really enjoyed when I've tried it out all that much. I do get the whole idea of the big screen TV, and I think that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. We'll see what comes first, whether I buy a virtual home theater in a VR set of some sort, or whether I actually build my home theater down in the rec room. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Well, like I said, we'll have we'll have a link to all of this in the show notes. The, maybe the the part that makes me want to throw up a little bit is that they call this uh, a, a metaverse entertainment system, which puke. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's basically an Android tablet that has Snap on controls and will fit in a headset and a dock and and all of that. So, but it's it is, a cool concept. It is a very cool concept, yeah. and it has met its Kickstarter goal. It's exceeded. It's almost doubled its Kickstarter goal. So it's doing well, um, but I still don't know that I'm quite ready for something like that. Yeah. All right. Well, our next message, and we're going to have to go back and forth on this, Josh, because there's a <laughs> lot to go through here. Our, our next message is from a relatively new listener, Paul. and. Paul wrote us what I think equates to probably three or four printed pages of thoughts that we're going to summarize. We're going to quote some of it, but we're going to summarize his thoughts because every one of them was really prescient. Uh, We've talked about all of this stuff, and he has some thoughts that I think are applicable. So he says, Josh and Richard, I've become a regular listener after hearing about your show from the Wood Talk vocal doppelganger episode (laughs) after being a longtime wit talk listener. And Josh, you and I joked about that on this episode. I think it was Dave McCabe that told us that, Hey, there's somebody that sounds just like one of you on this other podcast. Yeah. I've been thinking about four different topics over the course of listening and think they're still valid and current, though not all mentioned in your most recent episodes. Topic one, all media, he says procurement, but I think he means curation and recommendations. He says 
Recently, you talked about how various streaming devices and content providers have varying levels of success in curating and recommending content, specifically all the different subscription media providers these days have their own apps. And summarizing the rest of his thoughts here, he says that this is less of a concern for him since they only have Netflix, Prime, and Disney+. Plus. But he points out that the Amazon Fire Stick, which they use, and the Google TV, which he also has, both now do this. But he's finding that Amazon's recommendations seem to be better, that they seem to be more on spot than Google's recommendations, which is interesting. Josh, I don't know if you use the Amazon experience at all, but uh, I've never even tried it for this purpose. I've never actually used a Fire TV device. I've oh, had, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I've had Fire tablets, but I've never had a Fire TV device. But th this surprises me too. I, I would absolutely expect Google to win this one over any of the other providers out there. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Might need to check it out. I, I think so. All right. You get topic two. Sure. Well, sticking in the Amazon ecosystem, topic two is the Amazon Fire TV recast. And to summarize his message here, he says uh, that he's using the Amazon Fire TV recast in his home to watch over-the-air programming uh, shortly after it's recorded. That's the, the model that works best for his family's lifestyle. Amazon announced they're retiring this, these devices, but he asked if we know anything about how long the services might still work. And we do have an answer that, that Richard actually dug up, but I'm going to read it anyway. They are planning to maintain the software through 2026. So you've got, you know, uh, not quite four years left, but they don't explicitly mention how long they're going to provide guide data. Kind of an important thing for recording over the air TV. It is, but I can't imagine they would, say that they're going to keep updating the software, but then not actually provide guide data, that would be ridiculous. Why would they do that? But it is strange that they don't explicitly say that. Maybe they don't say that because their audience doesn't actually think of the guide as a data source, right? We know yeah. that it is. We think of it that way because we're a bunch of geeks and we set these things up to work on our PCs, but not everybody necessarily knows that. Right. And and you and I have been around long enough to remember, for example, all of the times when the guide data stopped working inside of Windows Media Center. <laughs> oh, there's so, so many times. <laughs> like every Christmas, here, here's your present <laughs> from Microsoft. We're going to break your guide data in Media Center. Ugh. Anyway, uh, so he also notes that we talk a lot about cable card stuff. And he says, but what is the best option today? for a strictly over-the-air DVR that are modern, regularly updated, and have access to TV guide information for your local over-the-air channels to schedule recurring recordings. You know, so basically, like, what's the best over-the-air DVR that, that you can get right now? And again, this is an answer Richard wrote, but I completely agree. And the option is get yourself an HD home run and then use either Channels DVR or Plex, but both of them require a subscription. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's worth it. It's not that crazy expensive. The channels DVR 
subscription, I think, is $80 a year. I don't remember what the Plex Pass costs annually. It's probably competitive. It's probably around $70 or $80, something like that. And you get a lot for that in Plex. I would argue you probably get more in Plex. Both of these services that you would need to run on a computer somewhere in your home then connect to this HD Home Run tuner. You don't need the HD Home Run Prime. That's the one that's for cable. You just get one of the regular HD Home Run devices that works with HD over-the-air antennas, and you'll be able to do the same sort of stuff that you're doing now. Yeah, so uh, Plex is $40 for a year or $120 lifetime. Oh, wow. So that's pretty significantly less than the channel's service. Yeah. The other thing that is absolutely worth pointing out with both of these solutions is you will need a machine that you can dedicate to running these things on. Right. You can't just go buy a Plex box or a channels box. But if you have a NAS already, if you have a NVIDIA Shield, which doesn't sound like Paul does because he uses the Amazon Fire TV recast, but you'll need something like that to 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 run these services on. Or, I mean, technically, you could run the channel's DVR on a Raspberry Pi. How well does that work? I haven't tried it. <laughs> Supposedly it works. I have a download for it. So, yeah. I don't know. Something to look into. All right. His third topic, universal remotes. And I'm going to summarize this whole thing. He says uh, that uh, he shares our concern over the vanishing universal remote, notably the Logitech Harmony preceded by the Philips Pronto, which we, we haven't really talked about here that much, but it allowed for a lot of serious customization. You can do scripting and stuff like that on it. It was a cool remote. I think I had one back in the day. He points out the the trend seems to be control over IP now. and He's been experimenting with this a bit to toggle between different surround modes, which can typically be deeply buried in an AV receiver's menus. Like you have to go several layers down, but with a couple of, with a script with a couple of uh, IP commands over HTTP, he can immediately switch to a different surround mode, which is really kind of cool. But he says you need to be familiar with IP network configuration and ensure that your device's addresses don't go changing on you. So you'd have to have your router set up right. You'd have to know what your IP addresses are. You have to have a level of comfort that not everybody can do nowadays. But there are many resources out there that allow you to kind of tap into this stuff the same way that, say, an integrator might if they were trying to control devices in your home over IP. So it's kind of cool. It is kind of cool, but it's also going to have fairly limited use cases. You know, oh, you're yeah, not yeah. going to be able to control your Nintendo Switch. Yeah, yeah. IP. No, your your family members are not going to be starting <laughs> to control the television this way. No, no, they're not. All right. Well, his last topic is on game consoles and that he thinks they make pretty crappy Blu-ray players. He says that we occasionally talk about game consoles having built-in optical drives, Blu-ray, and now Ultra HD Blu-ray, so that they can act as a media center. Yeah, we've been talking about that for 
10 years uh, or more, <laughs> um, at least since the Xbox One. But these consoles often lack higher-end audio and video features found on dedicated players. He says that both the Xbox and PlayStation 5 lack Dolby Vision and HDR10 playback, and DTSX or Atmos don't work out of the box. Also, some titles won't play on the Xbox and PS5, uh, and the, the PS5 can't play audio CDs. Um, uh, he, he also says, and, and this is a direct quote, these issues may not be significant for the casual 4K Blu-ray owner, but for someone like myself who prides themselves in having the latest and greatest AV support when buying a new component, it has definitely prevented me from buying an Xbox Series X and considering it an upgrade or replacement for my existing standalone Blu-ray player. Paul, I'm not positive about this one. I was pretty certain that the Xbox Series consoles and even the Xbox One S and X supported Dolby Vision and definitely HDR10, but it has been a long time since I've attempted to do it. I, I, I've i kind of fallen out of the habit of buying uh, Ultra HD Blu-ray disc. So, Richard, do you... Well, you're not really using your Xbox as a Blu-ray player anymore, are you? Right. I still buy Ultra HD Blu-rays, but I'm not playing them on my Xbox. I am backing them up to my Plex server and then mm. playing them from there. So uh, now I, I think his, I, I don't know about the specifics on the video playback. I thought we did talk about how there were new video modes introduced on the Xbox Series X, but that it didn't apply to DVD playback. It only applied, or, or Blu ray playback, it only applied to the gaming part of the console. So, but that did, that did strike a chord with me. I also totally get his point about trying to set Atmos up, for example, on the Xbox, which requires downloading a separate app. And if you want to use it through your headphones, you need to pay like this one-time fee. And I mean, it's just, it's a big old hassle instead of just coming with the working software already. But yeah, I, I get it. I mean, if you are a uh, an aficionado, if you will, of the video format and you want the most pure and complete experience that you can have with all of the different video and audio capabilities, I totally get why you'd still want a component player. Makes complete sense to me. I would imagine they're a little bit harder to come by. and probably not going to be too cheap. You're probably going to have to be getting him at something like, you know, a custom audio place or a Magnolia or something like that. I also wonder, is there such a thing as a casual 4k Blu-ray owner? Does that still exist? You think? Or, or is it just the nerds like us? Cause I don't know. Streaming is so much more convenient. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. I'm going to make a stereotype, a terrible stereotype. <laughs> maybe older people. Yeah, maybe. People who still like having, I mean, yeah, I am not a casual Blu-ray uh, user, customer, I think. Or maybe I am. 
maybe I am because I'm okay with my as of yet non Atmos supported Plex playback of my Blu-ray discs. So I don't know. Yeah. Interesting points though. And completely valid. Anyway, he closes by saying, thanks for doing the show. I've been appreciating it since I started following. Thanks well, for writing, Paul. Yeah, great, thank you so great much. feedback. Um, sorry we had to shorten so much. We do try and keep the messages short. We like the feedback, but we do have to try and keep it somewhat short. Especially weeks where we have a lot of news. And despite the fact that we haven't recorded a show in a month, there's not really that much news worth talking about because it's the end of the year. And most news-related things that are going to happen in this space aren't going to happen until early January when CES happens. But there is a little bit of news for us to discuss, and we're going to start it off with everyone's favorite topic, price increases. (laughs) Because, again... DirecTV is going to be kicking the year off by raising prices on DirecTV Stream and the legacy plans. And this gets complicated. Like if you're using DirecTV Stream or you are uh, a previous like uh, DirecTV Now subscriber and you still are on one of those, all of their plans are, are seeing price increases starting in January uh, after uh, January 22nd. but. Of the eight different plans that are listed on this article from the streamable, they almost all go up by different amounts. <laughs> so the 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 base tier on DirecTV Stream, it's just called the entertainment tier. It is going up $5 a month to $74.99 a month. The choice plan is going up by $10 to $100 a month. Ultimate, which is what I would expect to be the top tier, but it's not. Ultimate is going up by $5 to $110 a month. And Premiere is going up by $5 to $155 a month. And just in case you don't know, DirecTV Stream is a cable TV replacement sort of service, uh, much like YouTube TV, Hulu with live TV, that sort of stuff, Sling TV. It is one of those types of plans. And when this happens in January, it will mean that uh, DirecTV Stream returns to being the most expensive TV streaming service, <laughs> just like it was last January, the last time they raised their prices. So that sucks. I don't know anybody who actually uses DirecTV Stream. Like, there's there's obviously got to be somebody, but it seems like most people are using YouTube TV or Hulu or sling. Do you know anybody who's using this? I don't. I don't know anyone in real life that I'm aware of. I thought that YouTube TV was up to about 75 a month for their base plan. I thought that's what I was paying. I so, think YouTube is 70 a month. I should okay. know that. Hint, hint for later in the show. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. There, we get to to kick the year off with some lovely price increases, and we don't. There wasn't really much audio news over the last few weeks, other than all of the services doing their year in review stuff, which Spotify again uh, hit it out of the park with their year wrapped um, year in review sort of thing. I loved it; it was great. Uh, you're using Apple Music currently, or are you on? You're on Amazon Music. 
No, I'm using Apple Music, and they had something similar. I there's is kind of a pain <laughs> because they send you an email message, and you figure that oh well, this is something I should be able to find in my Apple Music app, and it is in your Apple Music app. But when you select it. Then it launches something in your browser, which seems just insanely stupid to me. It was fine. It, uh, you know, it summarized the things that I listen to the most, and I have no surprises there. The composer Thomas Bergerson that I had mentioned earlier this year. And his album and one of his songs that I had mentioned earlier this year were my number one in composer or artist album and song. So trifecta for Thomas Burgesson. How about you? I believe a, well, my favorite song was by, or, or not favorite, but the one that I listened to the most was a, a song by the band Wild Rivers, which is a fairly small sort of indie folky rock sort of band that I love. They were my number one artist last year. Um, number one song this year but uh for band it was another even smaller sort of indie folk duo by the name of oc elliott and what i love about it is that i was in the top 0.5 percent of listeners to this band (laughs) wow wow (laughs) yes yes in fact it it actually became a joke around our house because like every time i would be listening to music and Jen would wander into the room. She'd be like, I really like this song. Is that O.C. Elliot? And it was always O.C. Elliot. <laughs> it, it just became the joke. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Spotify did a fantastic job this year. The I, I also got one from Pocket Cast for, uh, for my podcast listening. Um, yep. Did Apple do anything like that for podcast? I don't know, because I also use Pocket Cast. Oh. And uh, did you, was your longest episode also like the most recent Windows Weekly that was almost three hours long? (laughs) (laughs) So my most listened to podcast was Windows Weekly, largely because the episodes are so friggin' long each week. Yeah. Yeah. Same for me. Longer than any daily podcast that I listen to, which is just crazy. Right. And what this clearly told me about uh, the the way the Pocket Cast is doing these analytics is they don't take into consideration how much of a show you skip. Because especially with the more recent Windows Weeklies, I skip like crazy. If if they're going to give me a two hour and 45 minute podcast, I, I ain't got time for most of that stuff. And so yeah. I'm skipping well, huge Especially chunks. if like a bunch of it is talking about different ways you can cook eggs in Mexico. Like I just really don't care. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or just listening to Leo ask the same questions that he's been asking for the last few weeks because he doesn't actually listen to what Paul says. Oh, oh, ouch. So, yeah. Don't don't really love Windows Weekly that much anymore. But I still got to listen to what Paul Therod has to say because it's usually pretty decent information. So, anyway, yep. let's move on to 
some gaming news because that's really it for the the audio side and we we have to talk about the microsoft attempted acquisition of activision blizzard god i want this to happen just so that we can stop talking about it (sighs) well things got a little worse (laughs) so (laughs) over the last month Seriously, Microsoft has been sending everybody out to all of the the mainstream press places to just try and and plead their case to all of the governing bodies all around the world. Like, listen, we promise we're not going to be a monopoly if we if we actually get to acquire Activision Blizzard. We promise that we will keep some of these things available on other platforms. They did more than just promise. They actually made a 10-year deal with Nintendo saying that they would start, start, that's the key there, bringing Call of Duty to the Nintendo platforms. Call of Duty hasn't been on a Nintendo platform in over 10 years. They also offered a similar 10-year deal to Sony uh, to say, listen, Call of Duty will be on PlayStation for at least the next 10 years. Sony basically ignored it because they just want to continue to whine and say that Microsoft can't be allowed to have this deal. And apparently it's starting to work because the Federal Trade Commission in the United States is suing to block the acquisition. Uh, Their press release said that Xbox would gain control of top video game franchises and therefore harm competition in high-performance gaming consoles and subscription services by denying or degrading rivals' access to its popular content. Uh, no, it won't. (laughs) (laughs) They've been trying to say that Sony could have Call of Duty and the, the latest news that came out of that, I think today, maybe it was yesterday, is that Microsoft even said that Sony could, uh, offer Call of Duty through their own subscription service. So it wouldn't just only be on Xbox Game Pass, it would also be on Sony's competitor. Like they're clearly not doing the things that the FTC is accusing them of, right? A- a- am I alone here? Am I, like, am I just an Xbox fanboy about this, or is this just stupid? Now, what I don't understand is if they're concerned about that competition, then as part of the deal. And this is not unusual with mergers and acquisitions in any market, require them to either make certain titles available or perhaps even relinquish certain titles, depending on the situation. And why this is just coming in, out and saying, nope, we're not going to let this happen, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm hoping that. They can, I don't know, all get together at a table and just act like adults because this is really ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I need this to happen before June because that's when the next game from Activision Blizzard is coming out that I care about and I don't want to pay for it. I want it to be on Game Pass. (laughs) So that would be Diablo 4. Very excited about that game. And, And if not by the time Diablo comes out, can at least be by the time the next Call of Duty comes out, which would be next fall. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Because they had said they might wait two years for the next one. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on this acquisition news and hopefully have some good news 
uh, to finally close this thing sooner rather than later. All right, next story, also in gaming, Microsoft announced that they will be raising the price of most of their major first-party games to $70 instead of the $60 that they've been charging for these games. Now, I I do have to admit, with that lead-in, that that's a hell of a follow-up to an article talking about how Microsoft might have too much control of the gaming space. How so? Say more about that. That... The next thing we're talking about is, and all of our titles, we're raising the price. (laughs) I guess I didn't think about it that way, but they're not the first to do this. Like, this is what the industry has been doing. Basically, since this generation of consoles came out, a lot of the publishers have started to do this. Sony already does it. Ubisoft has been doing it. EA has been doing it. There are others. So it's not just Microsoft. and. Uh, with Microsoft, they're still going to make all of these games available day one on Game Pass. So if you don't want to pay 70 bucks for a game, subscribe to Game Pass and you get it included. So this will start next year for their their major games like Forza Motorsport, Redfall, and Starfield, all scheduled to come out sometime next year. I'm 100% okay with this. And not just because I barely buy games anymore because I'm a Game Pass subscriber. But we've talked about this in in the past when this started happening with some of the other publishers. I'm okay with games costing $10 more than they used to because this isn't like DirecTV Stream. The price isn't going up every single year. <laughs> right. We've been paying $60 for brand new games since the launch of the Xbox 360 generation. And if you're not sure when that is, 2005. Can you think of anything else that cost $60 in 2005 that's still $60 in 2022? <laughs> Good point. I doubt it. So I I think this is totally fine. And I mean, I've already been doing it. I, you know, I paid 70 bucks this year for NHL. This is just the way it is. And, and I think it makes sense. So I don't really have much to complain about there. All right. Last up. This is one of those stories that could have been in the video segment because it's video hardware. Nope. <laughs> Richard's never going to let me get away with that. LG has new computer monitors, Richard. I don't gaming know. Gaming computer- <laughs> monitors. They have new they're calling them gaming monitors. Come on. Okay, they are calling them gaming monitors. It is from their Ultra Gear line of gaming monitors and these are awesome. These are OLED gaming monitors. They have two sizes, a 27-inch and a 45-inch. They both offer 240 hertz refresh rates, which is really fast. It's not as fast as some of the other crazy things that are out there. Those are all lower resolution. None of them are OLED. None of them look as good as these panels are for sure going to look. And frankly, I just don't buy it that people need three, four, five, six hundred hertz monitors like really i don't think the human eye works that way <laughs> not, not not to that level at least but so these are 240 hertz these are not 4k they are qhd and wqhd and and if you can't ever remember all of those letters and what that means qhd is 1440p so it's higher res than a, a 1080p monitor but it's lower res than a 4k monitor they also support variable refresh rate, like the DVRR standard that is on a lot of TVs, plus AMD FreeSync and NVIDIA G-Sync. So 
all of your variable refresh rate stuff is supported here. The 27 inch panel is going to set you back a thousand bucks, which doesn't, I don't know, that doesn't seem completely awful. The 45 inch version, this is WQHD, wide QHD. So that's 21 by nine, uh, still 1440p. It's just a lot wider. And it is the first 45 inch monitor to have an 800R curvature. If you don't know what those numbers mean, I don't really know what they mean either, but they're really curved. Like they're More curved. really curved. <laughs> yeah. It has a massive curve, uh, which you probably need for a 45 inch monitor that's sitting two feet in front of you. And this one is going to be $1,700 and they both ship in early January. Uh, a- a- any chance you're buying one of these, Richard? No. I, I have a great widescreen, ultra widescreen monitor now. I think it's a Dell, if I remember correctly. I'm very happy with it. I I truly recommend a, an ultra widescreen curved monitor as a primary work monitor. I think they're fantastic. I wouldn't spend seventeen hundred dollars for one because <laughs> I don't game enough to make that worthwhile. I think mine's thirty eight inches too, though. So. It's not as big as this, but these are impressive specs for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And these these don't really fit the size that I'm currently using. My my primary display is a 34-inch 4K widescreen, so it, it's not curved. It's not ultra-wide or anything like that. And then I also have a, what is that, 24-inch 1080p display that I have rotated so that it's uh, basically portrait mode next to it. So if I were to replace both of those monitors with just one, I think I like the idea of, of going uh, ultra-wide like you suggested. And yeah, it, I would probably want something more in that like upper 30-inch range. Like 45 just kind of seems bananas. Yeah. I mean, 38 seemed ridiculously large when I first got it. And it seems just kind of the perfect size now, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my 34 kind of feels that way. Sometimes I still feel like I'm sitting too close to it. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, that is it for our news this week. So let's jump into what's going on in our entertainment centers. And folks, buckle in, because I've got to scroll <laughs> to see all of Richard's. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah well so there's been a lot going on i've been watching a lot of television over the last month and also had some stuff going on in my entertainment center so first up i mentioned at the top of the show that i was down at our vacation rental for a week and you know this is just this is electronics and i don't understand it but literally eight hours after i left town i left the house. I get a call from Edward that the Apple TV remote doesn't work. <laughs> the battery died. Eight hours after I leave, the of battery's course. dead. Of course. How does this always happen? I mean, not that always, but it's always something. Always something legitimately goes wrong the day I leave the house. I don't understand. Technology is crazy. All right. While I was down at the beach house, I installed a uh, a new audio component there. We had guests that were there at Thanksgiving and 
they were interested in playing audio outside and we have some speakers outside, but they were like hooked up to the TV and they didn't really sound that great. And so they wanted to just be able to play their own music for entertainment purposes out on the deck. And I bought a, or I looked for what would be the best standalone amplifier that would allow people to say Bluetooth share their own audio and have it tie in to the speakers outside. And I found a Fosse audio amplifier, F-O-S-I, never heard of them before. Multiple review sites listed them as one of the top picks. It was also one of Amazon's best rated devices. So I picked that up and set that up while I was out there and it sounds so good. I'm really impressed with how good it sounds. So interesting, just kind of standalone thing for a set of standalone speakers that ended up working really well. And it's funny when you're used to dealing with these big AV receivers and amplifiers and everything, just to have this tiny little box actually do a really good job. It's kind of surprising sometimes. Yeah, these things aren't like much bigger than like a deck of playing cards, right? Well, maybe more like four slices of bread. But okay. it's still small. Right. It's like it's not a big thing. Yeah. All right. Um, I have been having some problems with my Sonos speakers in my office. These are my System 1, the older Play 5s that I have. I have a pair of Play 5s in my office, and they were constantly going in and out. And I am using Sonos in my home exclusively over Wi-Fi. And anyone who's dealt with this knows that Sonos does not play well with Wi-Fi. It is notoriously bad if you don't have at least one of the devices on your Sonos network physically connected to Ethernet. But I didn't have that. And so I went digging and I found an old airport express. That's kind of the network adapter that Apple used to make that you could use to either extend the network or add airplay capability to other devices. And I hooked that up to connect through Wi-Fi to my network and then send an airplay signal that I send to it over the same Wi-Fi <laughs> as I would be controlling my Sonos with directly into the Sonos input on the Play 5s. And uh, I have the output from that Airport Express be an Ethernet cable into the Wi-Fi. So it's basically, or into the Sonos. So it's basically physically connecting the Sonos devices to my network through a different Wi-Fi connection. And now it all works. I mean, this is literally 10 year old technology from Apple that works better than whatever the latest firmware is that's built into the play five. It just makes no sense to me whatsoever. I've never heard of this before. Oh yeah, and and people talk about Sonos like it's God's gift to audio fans, and 
they they talk about Sonos the same way they talk about Apple products that like you pay a little bit more, but the quality is great and you never have any problems with it. So just pay the money for Sonos. But I got to imagine that most people are not hardwiring these things. You don't have to have them all hardwired. You just have to have one of them hardwired. And <laughs> come on, then they create their own network and it works pretty well. But if they're all over Wi-Fi, it's problematic. That's Problem stupid. Man. Not yep. for for the price of these devices, that should not be an issue. You you would think they would figure this out. Yeah. All right. Well, one more project in my entertainment center and this I just did today actually. So, I was listening to this week's Cord Killers and fellow podcaster Allison Sheridan was on Cord Killers and she was talking about her cord cutting experience. And she has chosen to set up channels DVR and she has that hooked up with, believe it or not, TV everywhere, because we've talked about that before. And I say, believe it or not, because her source for this isn't her cable provider, it's YouTube TV. So I learned that TV everywhere in channels DVR also lets you stream your content from YouTube TV, Hulu Live, uh what what's the other Sling, Sling. and conversely also if you have like the streaming equivalents of cable services through your cable provider like through Spectrum or Fios or what have you, those two have these multiple linear channel services that all work with TV everywhere. I always thought that the TV everywhere stuff was for the ones and twos for the NBC app and for the CBS app and for the TNT app and for the HGTV app. And you had to verify that all those channels did in fact match to channels that you received from your provider, but it actually works with these alternative linear providers too. That's really cool. That is cool. I like it. So I tried it. I set it up. And sure enough, it works. Now, what I did find is that it would not authenticate the, or it would not allow, I should say, the Discovery Channel, uh, the Discovery Network's channels. So HGTV, Discovery, Food Network, all of those sorts of things did not end up showing up. So they probably have a block that doesn't allow them to do this, which is disappointing, but not really all that surprising. Mm -hmm. So pretty cool, though. Something that I'm going to play a little bit more with to figure out how to best optimize that, because I like the idea. The idea being that I think the channel's DVR experience is, frankly, better and easier to use and understand than... YouTube TV's live TV experience. So, yeah. Anyway. All right. So, what have I been watching? Oh, wow. So much TV. All right. I am caught up on Ghosts. I am caught up on Mythic Quest. We watched a couple episodes of Real Time with Bill Maher and then the Last Week Tonight with John Oliver season finale. Also watched the... uh 
season actually the rest of the season and season finale of the uh, uh, wow the amazing race really did enjoy this season and i think it's because one of the contestant teams was a team that i knew from i have to admit big brother and so you know i had somebody that i was cheering for but overall i thought it was a very good season finished season two of the white lotus and I know I started the season saying that it felt a little bit annoying and last season was very preachy. This season, way less preachy, much more intrigue, very good season. And it was a lot of fun. I was waiting. This was like a a must-see event. The night that White Lotus came out. I wanted to watch it as soon as it was available. So that was really cool. And there is supposed to be a third season of that that I'm looking forward to. Finished season three of The Orville. Again, I remember mentioning that the beginning of the season was not as good as past seasons, that episodes were seeming preachy. The last few episodes of The Orville were phenomenal. Now, we don't know if this show is going to be renewed for a fourth season or not. Disney has not said whether they're going to renew it or not, but it could end on the season finale of season three and be completely satisfying. But I hope we get more at the end of this season. I really feel like the show got into its groove and did this, did the thing that Star Trek used to do so well, talked about, really serious societal issues without feeling preachy, just with good stories that made you really care about the people and understand things through their perspective, taking on crazy deep topics like identity and prejudice and slavery and all kinds of stuff. And it was just so, so good. So I hope they get another season, but wow, really kudos to them for such good work there. I finished Welcome to Wrexham season one. This is the documentary about uh, Rob McElhenney and uh, Ryan. Mm, that actor, his last name. <laughs> that actor, Ryan, who's in everything. Uh, he, and their purchase of the Welsh football team and basically getting them through their first season as owners. It was so, so good. It just, you felt so good after every episode, loved the show. And I'm excited that they're going to have a season two. Can't wait. This was Ted, Re Ted Blasso in real life. Highly, highly, highly recommend this show. That actor dude is Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. There we go. Okay. I got back to watching The Expanse. I finished season four and I'm now on season five. Back to watching Abbott Elementary. Edward and I got back to watching A Discovery of Witches. We're now on season two of that. I did watch Dolly Parton's Mountain Magic Christmas. <laughs> don't. Just don't. Come on. How are you going to oh, hate on Dolly Parton? It. I know. She's a national treasure, right? Mm -hmm. It was so, so bad. The best part was Willie Nelson at 89 years old Jeez. was on and sung and he was great. Uh, the rest of it was just complete trash. I just can't unrecommend it enough. It was <laughs> awful, awful, awful. Similarly, I watched Netflix's holiday home makeover 
So you don't have to. Uh, I should arguably say that I watched part of one episode of the thankfully only four episode run that this thing got. It is also terrible. Don't bother. I, I, I feel like we need to pause for a second there because yep. especially for people who haven't been listening for a super long amount of time, Richard never gives up on a series, even when they're terrible. <laughs> He sticks with them. Yeah. I've never really understood why, but he does. He's a completionist, I guess. So if he didn't make it through, you didn't even finish an, an episode? Nope. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's just awful. Just awful. All right. Last time we talked, I said that I was going to go watch the Artemis launch, but it didn't actually launch on time. I did end up watching it the next day, a recording of it, which was really cool. And it just landed a couple of days ago. It was out there for nearly a month, went around the moon, went around the moon again, went way out past and came back. And so uh, a lot of cool stuff happening with that. And I'm, I'm eager to find out what the results of that were. Hopefully everything worth the way it's supposed to. So our next mission can in fact be a staffed mission that will have uh, two astronauts on it that will wave to the moon as it goes by. Uh, just <laughs> like uh, Apollo 10 did back in the day. So uh, yeah. All right. I also uh, watched Spirited, another Ryan Reynolds film, and it's a blast. It was absolutely so much fun. It's a musical. I didn't expect that. That had Edward a little bit concerned. He did not really <laughs> like that part of it because they broke into song periodically and sometimes made fun of the fact that they were breaking into song periodically. It was, it was, Cool. It was really fun. I liked it. Also, I'd never seen Love Actually. It's a Christmas movie now. Officially, I think, just like Die Hard, it's now a Christmas movie. So we watched that, and I liked it. It was cool. I, I thought that was pretty good. Also, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Totally. Watch it. It was so much fun. I yeah, did you watch it? No, of course You're not. You're shaking your head no. no because right. I, I did you like Guardians of the Galaxy? No, I hated okay, Guardians well, of the Galaxy. If you like Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> <laughs> then watch this. It's a it's a lot of fun. And uh yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. Okay. Watch Disenchanted, the sequel to Enchanted, now streaming directly on Disney Plus. Did you watch this? So we had like a big date to watch this with our neighbors because we both have nine-year-old daughters and they were super excited. And so we planned for all of this. And then I got an important phone call that I needed to take. So I was late. I missed the first half. I saw the second half. Eh, I won't be choosing to watch it again. What did you think? <laughs> well, let's just say that's aptly named. Yeah. I was disenchanted. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't great. And what's, no, it wasn't great. And I love Enchanted. I thought Enchanted was a fun movie that was entertaining, if not re a ridiculous premise. But I thought it was very good. And this just does not live up. No, no, not at all. What, what's the name of the actor? The 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 dude, the dad, the husband. 
I I don't know. It's the McDreamy dude. Yes, from... that, that's all I can ever remember is Dr. Yeah. McDreamy. Yeah. <laughs> what Did they give him like 10 bucks? Because he was in like none of this movie. He was hardly in the thing. No, he was. He even sung. I mean... Well, yeah, but like compared to everybody else, he was hardly in the movie. Yeah, he was not in as much. But anyway. Okay. So then we watched some just complete trash movies. And I loved these. We watched <laughs> The Boss... And Tommy, both of the, or sorry, Tammy, uh, both of these are Michelle, no, no, Mal, no. <sighs> the actress from Mike and Molly can never remember her name. No idea. Anyway, she is, she's an adapted taste. You either like her movies or you don't like her movies. I love her movies. The first one I ever saw was Spy, and I thought it was just hysterical. And I, Thoroughly enjoyed these as well. And then finally, we watched Bros. And I should just know by now that any movie or TV show that CBS has promoted on Big Brother as some big special thing and you get a you get a special event where you get to pick some people from the house and you get to go watch this thing and it's a, and they they talk about how wonderful that it's just going to suck and for the most part this sucked i thought the premise was dumb i thought the people were unlikable and generally did not enjoy this which is a shame because in all fairness it was trying to be like a a gay rom-com breakout movie and it just wasn't good. Just, yeah. All right. <sighs> That's it for watching. I have been reading, listening to some stuff. I finished Kathy Griffin's official book club, book club selection. I read or listened to uh, Mary Trump's too much and not enough. That was a really, really good book. I thoroughly enjoyed that and would recommend that to anybody kind of interested in better understanding the the history of the Trump family and how Trump came to be um who he is and and a lot of the psychology behind it because she has a PhD in psychology so that may or may not interest you. And then finally I have started and I'm about halfway through uh, David, since David Swinson's crime song, this is the follow-up to second girl, uh, the book that I read of his before, this is a crime novel. And I mentioned, uh, David, someone that I know in the area, he used to be a DC officer. So, uh, a lot of real life experiences poured into writing these books. Nice. Okay. That was a lot. You mentioned. It was going to be a lot. I, I see a um, a longer list here than I expected. Yeah, from you too. I do have a longer list. So I have games. I have TV. I have books. Where should I start? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start with games because there's okay. more of those. Uh, Call of Duty Warzone Two released uh, sometime around the last time we released this podcast. And we have been playing the DMZ mode, not the regular Battle Royale mode. There's bots. It's more like objective focused and stuff. It's cool. I like the idea. But man, me and my group of friends that play it suck. We are not good at it. We are (laughs) really, really struggling. So I don't know what we need to do to figure that out. But uh, we're going to need to figure something out because it is fun. Also, 
my nine-year-old is getting more and more into video games. So uh, she had played Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge at a friend's house. It's on Xbox Game Pass, so I downloaded it on the Xbox, and we played that for like an hour the other night. That's fun. It's just a, a beat-em-up Ninja Turtles game. I played a little bit of Fall Guys. That is a fun game to go back to occasionally when you're just looking for goofy fun with your friends. Uh, it's basically like obstacle courses and, and little short mini games that you're trying to be the last one standing, and they're usually pretty comical. Uh, another one with my nine-year-old, Smash Brothers on Switch. Like I haven't played a Smash Brothers game since the original version came out on the Nintendo 64, so that would have been like 1998. And I thought there was no way my nine-year-old daughter was going to be interested in Smash Brothers. She freaking loves Smash Brothers. So we've been playing some of that. Uh, But I got it from the library because she started asking for all of these games for Christmas. And I'm like, I'm not going to buy you like $200 in Switch games if you're not going to play most of them. So I went to the library to get Smash Bros. And while I was checking things out i found they also have can you guess what this next one is on my list i, mm, I want you to try and guess no i, I don't have any idea <laughs> so for those of you who are listening it, it is just the initials f f v i i r and that stands for final fantasy 7 remake <laughs> wow uh, yeah so final fantasy 7 remake this came out a couple of years ago this is a game that i was hoping would eventually come to xbox i don't think it's ever going to so uh got that out from the library on playstation 4 which meant that i hooked my playstation 4 up for the first time it's the first time i've hooked it up since i've lived in this house which was may of 21 so um that did lead to one slight problem that lg oled that i've got only has four hdmi inputs and i have a soundbar an Xbox, a Switch, and an NVIDIA Shield. I think you mentioned this before as one of the reasons your PlayStation hadn't been hooked up. Yeah. So uh, I was like, well, it's fine. Like, I'm the only one who plays the Xbox or the PlayStation, so I'll just swap HDMI cables when I need to play. It's, It's annoying, but not the worst thing ever. And of course, the very next day, my daughter had a friend over and she's like, hey, dad, we're trying to play Xbox so that she can play Minecraft while I play on the PC. <laughs> of course. So I might need to come up with a better solution for all of that. Uh, but Final Fantasy VII Remake, it's as good as everyone has been saying. It is for the last two years or so that it's been out. Uh, that's it for games. Uh, we did watch Elf. That is our holiday tradition movie around here. We freaking love Elf and watch it at least once every year. Um, so that's already done. It'll happen again before the year is out, I'm sure. Yeah, probably. Also, I signed up for YouTube TV just before Thanksgiving for kind of a weird reason. I wanted to reliably watch local TV. <laughs> I have an antenna and use channels DVR to watch over the air content, but I don't watch that much TV. So I haven't done a lot of work to like really position my antenna well, or maybe get a better antenna because I moved. And when I moved, I left the really good antenna installed in the attic. And 
So I don't have a great one. And I live even further from the towers now. And my local Fox affiliate is not a very reliable signal. Mm. And for Thanksgiving, we were hosting this year. And the Detroit Lions always play football on Thanksgiving. So that needed to be something that I could watch reliably. So Needed to be. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to entertain, you have to entertain well. No one Fair wants enough. to like have it freeze up. So uh, that worked out great and uh, kept using that. So that, that was football. But I also used it to watch the other football. FIFA World Cup <laughs> watched a fair amount of that through YouTube TV also. And again, almost everything that I watched on YouTube TV was stuff that's on local networks. Maybe some college football. There was probably college football on an ESPN or something like that because I watched a lot of that football too. Lots and lots of football, uh, all kinds of football. And I might keep it around despite the fact that I just verified it is $65 a month. I might keep it around for a little while longer because of college bowl game season. Most of those are on ESPN. So it's either keep paying for that or drop it and switch to sling to save 20 ish bucks a month just to watch a a few football games that might make more sense all right and uh my my quick recap of youtube tv i didn't really use it much more than you know show me these things you know let me watch these sports games and they appeared right on the home screen so i didn't really have to use a lot of the other features and the guide and all of that because everything that i wanted to watch was just right there. Um, and if it wasn't right there, I just used like the sports menu and stuff like that to find them. It did make finding those things really easy. If I just wanted to like channel surf and watch, you know, one of the 17 versions of law and order or something, maybe that would have been harder to find, but for finding the sports events that I wanted, that was pretty easy. And you're using this on your NVIDIA shield. Okay. So does the NVIDIA Shield, does Google TV on the NVIDIA Shield have the integrated guide, like a live section? I don't think so, but I I need to double check. But I don't think it does. I would look into that because I do think that they do a very good job of integrating live TV on the Google TV on Chromecast. and. That kind of helps with some of the complications that I find in navigating the guide in the YouTube app itself or YouTube TV app itself. My biggest issue with YouTube TV app itself is that when you press back to get to the guide, then getting back to the actual live TV show Mm. is too hard. I am constantly accidentally leaving the app instead of getting back to the live TV feed. And I, I, I'm a, a UX guy and I sometimes help design user interfaces and I don't know what a better solution would be, but what they're doing doesn't work for me. Yeah. That's, that hasn't really been a problem for me because it's turn on the football game and leave it. And then when I'm done yep. with the football game, I'm leaving YouTube TV and turning yep. everything off. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I also did read a couple of audiobooks, read slash listen to a couple of audiobooks. I read a newer book called Connectable. This is by Ryan Jenkins, and this is largely about 
uh, building deeper connections at work, especially in distributed like work from home sort of environments. A lot of really good tips and, and thoughts about how to make that work better. So if you're, especially if you're a people manager in in a business that has people all over the place, it's worth a read. And I wanted to read some fiction. And I was like joking with a friend of mine recently that I feel like I just need to go back to the classics. So I did. And I reread To Kill a Mockingbird that I haven't read since like high school a million wow. years ago. And I barely remembered anything. Like, I'm like, I don't remember how this trial ends. I don't remember if they're ever even going to do anything with this Boo Radley guy that they spent the first quarter of the book talking about. Uh, Yeah, it's a fantastic book. Um, It is. If it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable while you're listening to it with the language that's used, especially when you're listening to it. Um, You know, this takes place in like the late 30s, I think, in the South. and. They use different language for describing black people than we do in polite company nowadays. And it's, it's hard to listen to. And that's, I think that's part of the point. So yeah, definitely worth a listen to if, if you, if it's been a long time or if for some reason you've never listened to, to, or read to kill a mockingbird, it's a good one. And that's it. It's everything in my entertainment center. No more hardware or any other issues like that for me. So that's going to do it for the show. If you want to get a hold of us, well, I'm still on Twitter. I'm at Josh Pollard, but Richard has scratched his name off in our notes. Richard, are you no longer on Twitter at all? I am not interacting on Twitter anymore, and I am actively downloading all of my content from my various accounts these days. I am on Mastodon at Richard Gunther, and there aren't any other Richard Gunthers there right now. So you don't have to worry about what server that's on. But if you're on Mastodon, you can follow me there. I am also Josh Pollard on Mastodon. I don't even remember what server I'm on right now. Maybe I'm the only Josh Pollard so far. I'll figure that out and get it. He's not really there, though. I'm not really there. I've, I've only... Are they still seriously calling them toots? Um, no. Okay. They've, they, they've, <laughs> the latest release has changed that. You now publish posts. Post. So Okay. Yeah. I've only published a couple of posts so far. I've, but I haven't been active on, I haven't been active in posting on Twitter much uh, over the last couple of years either. So uh, if you want, like, I think that, that right now for me, Twitter is a great way to DM me. <laughs> My DMs are open on Twitter. Uh, and if you can find me on Mastodon, the app that I've got running on my phone will probably notify me that you've done that. <laughs> but I will eventually figure that stuff out and get all of those posted in the show notes. Uh, Richard is uh, uh, Richard Gunther at twit.social, by the way, in case you really need that for finding him on Mastodon. You won't need that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, the the website is also still only on Twitter at DigiMediaZone. Maybe we should look at moving that to Mastodon too. Who knows? Um, but Richard, everything that we've talked about tonight, it's in our show notes over at the website, thedigitalmediazone.com where we do occasionally have another podcast from you called Home On. What's going on with Home On? 
We do, and we have coming up the annual Technology.fm Fireside Chat, the overly ambitious edit that uh, <laughs> I have on on our feed. And this year, that chat included my co-host, Adam, from the Smart Home Show, the co-hosts of Home Tech, which is Seth, Gavin, and TJ, and Mike Wolf from The Spoon. So we all got together for the first time, actually, that we had all of us there, and it was a lot of fun. So I think you'll enjoy this one. It's not too long. It's actually under an hour this time. We were, man, Seth was on the clock when he was driving <laughs> this conversation. And while I like all of these guys, I like all of these shows that they put out, you should listen to the version that Richard puts out because it's edited better. <laughs> yeah, fewer fewer ums and it'll end up being much shorter. Right. Right. So so check that one out. Also, we're finally back to doing the show live. Richard talked to me. I have to give all of the the credit to Richard. I was like, let's just not deal with going live tonight. And and he said that we should. I decorated for Christmas in my studio. <laughs> I mean, come on. We had to actually show that, right? Except then my key light isn't working. So my lighting's all screwed up. Tonight. Yeah, yeah, it is. Also, I think it's maybe fair to point out that if we decide to go live, that isn't any extra work for Richard. It's only extra work for oh, me. Yeah. So it's, it's easier him. for him to be like, yeah, we should totally go live. What are you doing, Slacker? Yep. So we are live. You can find that at the website, thedigitalmediazone.com slash live or over on Twitch where you can subscribe to us there and you'll get notified as soon as we go live. We also tweet when we're live. I don't know if Richard posted it on Mastodon tonight. <laughs> I totally did. Nice. Nice. Okay. He's living up to it. Uh, and when we do the show live, uh, it's normally Tuesday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Sometimes it's Wednesdays. It's always one of those two nights. Almost always one of those two nights around yes. that time. But the next couple of weeks, I don't know what these look like for you. We have the week before Christmas, mm -hmm. the week after Christmas. I suspect the week after Christmas we probably won't do. No, week after Christmas is almost definitely not happening. There won't be any news, and I'm probably not even going to be at home. Right. And then next week, I think we're going to need to play by ear. So definitely watch yeah. the socials. Right. Because we're not willing to throw together a show if there's not really any news. We've, we value your time a little bit more than that. And there's not likely to be a whole lot of news in this space the week before Christmas and two weeks before CES. But we'll see. And with that, at the beginning of January, we will definitely be recording because there will be an onslaught of news <laughs> right. that first week of January. For sure. All right. Well, that is going to do it for episode 608. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye. <laughs>